Hi, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. Uh, I am sat looking on screen at my good friend Jason Hunt. How are you, Jace? I'm very good, Ant. How are you? I'm really, really well. I'm really well. We're on the last day of my 13-year-old self-isolating, um, so I can kick the little individual back to school next week. Excellent. So, so that's going to end well. So, uh, and, he's, and he's not actually brought disease with him. As it turned out, he's he's absolutely fine. So it's he's not ended ended too badly. No, I've had uh, my eldest had to do that as well. Um, so she had two weeks of self isolation and didn't bring the disease with her either. No, no. I don't know if they've got a little scam going on because he's just basically <laughs> played on the Xbox for a fortnight. But I'm going to leave it for the time being. If it happens again in a week's time, I'm going to get suspicious. Um, <clears throat> and our guests could probably throw into this as well. I would have thought uh, today we are. Lucky to be speaking to Ross Bailey, uh, and Ross is the product specialist for EMEA for Yamaha Guitar Group. Hello, Ross. How are you? I'm, I'm really well. How are you? Uh, very, very well. And we've all known each other for how long? Oh, oh too long. 20 years? Yeah. That's not very nice. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, God. Well, I started in the industry... I was 18, so, um, and now I'm voting uh, mm-hmm. something. So, yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, I think I, I joined Academy in the, in the year 2000. So that'll have been when we first probably met. Yeah, um, that would have been just after the Carlsberg Academy yes. transition. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's 20 years and, and probably met Jason very Yes, I, I started doing music live in 2000. So it would have been that October that we probably all met, actually. We, I bet we all met there. Um, I bet we all went in Brum in the year 2000. I, 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 was, um, I know it wasn't 2000 for me, because I can remember the first time I actually saw Ross rather than met him. Right. Uh, and the first year that I ran music, oh, this is really nerdy and I'm sorry, um, it was in Hall 12 at the NEC, but the year after that, it was in Hall 9, and I remember you said that Hall was... there, didn't you? Hall. I yeah. thought you said Hall. No. Oh. <laughs> you met Ross in Hall 12 at the NEC? <laughs> no. So I met Ross in Hall 9, which would have been the year after, because we moved it, because Hall 12 wasn't a particularly good layout, and he was demoing on the Line 6 stand with the Fairy Axe, yeah. the very first one. And I stood transfixed as this guy who was demoing, you know, I, I'd kind of come to assume that all demos were professionally done and so on. And there's Ross going, you can make it sound like a banjo. I have no idea why you want to make it sound like a banjo, but you can listen to this and then play Deliverance or something on it. It was just the funniest demo I'd ever seen. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think that was possibly the year or maybe the year before you played on the live stage as well with Sarah Jury. Um, yeah, be about that. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember that. An awful memory. Wow. Uh, it was yeah. when the live stage was in a little room that was a kind of opposite the show rather than uh, when it eventually moved into the hall that was next door right and we, we built the big 2000 standing arena um it was in the room that probably held about 450 i think right it was, it was like a proper conference room with that horrible blue conference room carpet in it you know with those horrible patterns on it that are only there to cover up the coffee stains that will inevitably land upon it what wonderfully uh, acoustically sound yes <laughs> <laughs> Just for those of you who haven't got a clue what we're talking about, so I suppose we ought to just slightly explain as we as we reminisce and, and go down um, that that particular rabbit hole. Um, 
uh, Ross and I worked for a company called Academy of Sound, uh, which was a, a, a an MI chain store um, that came out of a company called Carswell Retail and was around up until about the year 2004, 2005, sometime around about there, uh, and had, you know, 10, 11 shops around, predominantly around the Midlands. Uh, and we and we met working for for, for Academy of Sound and uh, a, a music show uh, called Music Live, uh, which was a consumer event, an end user event, which was quite unusual at the time. Uh, which was the show that Jace used to work on at the NEC. Uh, Academy were one of the companies that there were a, a you know a, a prime sponsor and prime actor in that particular drama. So that's how we all we all sort of formulate and meet. But Ross. Give us a potted history of your your career since. So, year two thousand, you're you working for Academy? Yes, um, I. It was kind of that era when Line Six kind of was unleashed yeah, was. onto the unsuspecting public, yeah. um, and the pod came out. Um, oh, the, uh, well, the first products we got in the store were Flexstone amps, yeah. um, and they were quite big, weren't they? As well, they were they were a Monster thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, one twelves and two twelves and stuff. Um, heads and four twelves. When you know people still used hundred watt heads and four twelves, and and I just kind of like really took to them. It, it sort of made sense. And then the pod came out, the original kidney bean pod, mm. and it just went through the roof. It was it was mental. I think from memory there was something like three hundred on back order or something, all pre-sold. Mm you know, totally revolutionized, you know, everything for people at home uh, recording and certainly people gigging too. And I just really kind of like, I, I like the product. I like uh, the idea behind it. And, and I sold a bunch of it. Um, sort of previous to that, I was touring with, yeah, with um, Sarah Jory. Um, and I was sort of quietly endorsing or had a relationship with Trace Elliott guitar amps. Uh, and my guy there had started working for Line 6 and he just called me one day and said, look, I've seen your sales figures. You're doing really well. We're looking for a guy to go out on the road and just talk about the gear. Um, do you fancy it? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that sounds cool, but I'm sort of okay in my job, but you, you've got to have the chat, haven't you? So went down, we had the chat. Um, and I got the job, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm on the road going around the country, um, talking about gear, uh, which was great. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, I did that for six years. Um, I think it's hard as well to, if you weren't around at the time, to realise the impact that that product, particularly in the pod, because. We're used now to every recording piece of recording software you open up, it's got a load of plugins. You can plug it, as long as you can get a, a guitar signal in, as long as there's so much to plug it, there's a whole raft of, of modeling that you can use. But back in the day, and we're on the infancy of digital recorders, so there's still a lot of people using tape based stuff. Uh, I, had a, I had a tape based full track at home, starting to get some digital stuff, but it was really, really expensive. And you still had the problem of how the hell do I get? A guitar tone in there without actually having to mic up um you know because most people still had big cabs and, and, and big amps so this thing which allowed you to plug in and get a tone and everything headphone level it's hard to now it's hard to appreciate how big a deal it was yeah and and line six have kind of had a few of those products that, that have really changed the landscape for things over the years. You know, obviously, I mean, the AX2, whilst it it wasn't the prettiest, I think I'm safe to say, um, or, or maybe the easiest to navigate, it was kind of the first thing that really did, okay, let's get one thing that sounds like, you know, this and this and this and this and this. Um, was it accurate? Was it similar or whatever is kind of irrelevant it was something that gave you the vibe of a Marshall or a Vox or a Fender yeah. or a whatever um it put you in that ballpark without having to spend tens of tens of thousands on on gear yeah. um and obviously that led to Flextone and Pod um and and things like the DL4 you know mm. the, the DL4 still exists and it's still on a million pedal boards and it's a million years old now and 
I, I think a lot of people forget. Um, I mean, the guys at that pedal show did a video not too long ago and, you know, made the point, well, the DL4 comes out and that led to, you know, uh, the TC flashback, um, the uh, Strymon timelines and, and all sorts, you know, the super delays. Hmm. So it's, you know, but you go back through Line 6's, you know, before Line 6 became Line 6, you go back through their history uh, with Marcus and some of the stuff he's created. You know, he, he worked and did stuff for other companies that people still love now. You know, some of the Oberheim synths and um, some of the first uh, drum kits and the SL16 Quadroverb was, was Marcus. Hmm. What I really liked about Line 6 at the time was they were quite clearly comfortable in not being very serious. Oh yeah, and, and it was it was just it was fun. I mean, it, was it the Gear Monkey? Was that the um, the sort of like software platform where you could you could you could have the Bohemian Rhapsody vocal plugin and and stuff like that? And it was just like the whole thing was just like ah whatever. It's just, it, it, it just it was so different from all of the other sort of like corporate presentations of what Gear could do. Yeah, but that's kind of important because I see, I still see, and, and you know, we've all seen for years, you know, there's a lot of companies that can get, and, and serious is okay, that's fine, you know, straight-laced is fine as well, but it's music. Yeah. You know, it's music and it's gear. You've got to have a laugh. You've got to have fun because that's, that's what we're all about. Hmm. Well, it, it, I mean, to Jason's point, and it was a little bit, um, and it wasn't usual for the time. The packaging, the way the the way that the manuals were written, everything was far more approachable than 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 previous. You know, because if we'd grown up on, particularly if it was tag, you know, we'd grown up on companies like Alesis or Roland and what have you, and their stuff is largely impenetrable. Mm. Um, you know, when you get to the manual and what have you, um, and and yet the Line Six stuff was really nicely put together, and it's far more reminiscent of what is the norm now. You know that's how stuff is now. Yeah. Um, you know the language is more conversational, and it got to the point, and it got you through the stages, and it got you up and running, and it actually it actually got you to start investigating the product in a way that you didn't do with some of the others because it was just it was just too hard to try and get your head around these these Roland tomes that were you know an inch thick. Yeah, I, I, I can remember trying to read some of that stuff and whilst I can understand every single word in the you know in the tome yeah I didn't understand them when they put them all together yeah. <laughs> it might as well have been in Greek as far as I was concerned they were the right words they just <laughs> might not necessarily be in the right order yeah that's it yeah. Right. I, I think what the company's always been very conscious of um particularly with things like manuals you know no one loves reading a manual Right, it's the most tedious thing. You kind of, at the very most, you pull a manual out to do something specific because you can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with pretty much all Line Six products, kind of almost historically, um, it, 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 we've been very much geared towards guitar players. And you know, let's be quite frank, you, you know, guitar players generally are not. Um, super technically minded. There's no attention to detail there as a rule, is there? No, and it's got to be because as guitar players, we're used to you know a, a valve amp behind us with some some knobs that you turn, and we know what those knobs do. Great, and then maybe some pedals on the floor with a couple of knobs or a few knobs, and you know what those knobs do, and you kind of know how to put this together. As soon as you start getting into the, the digital realm it can very easily and very quickly become very complicated. Um, And certainly me, even now, I hate menus on products. Hmm. You know, I hate menus on my TV. You know, it's it's boring. You know, I want to do something. I've got to go press this button then go through and scroll and find the thing. And it's just like, what? You know, and they're useful for for more specific things. So you start getting into, into MIDI, or something really technical because you need to solve a problem or or find a solution to something. Yeah, you know, you don't want to see all of that super deep things that you can do on the main screen. 
we guitar players, we want to see some knobs, yeah. you know, and at most a couple of buttons, one of them that says save. Uh, you didn't the- promise that you'd do this naked. Um <laughs> The guitar world is literally the history of the knob, isn't it? Let's <laughs> let's let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but you you know you said about the manuals. It, I learned a lot about gear from the manuals because hmm. it was always kind of right. Okay, here is this particular model. You know, brick plexi. Kind of, we can guess what that is. Um, if you're a gear nerd, you very easily guess what it is. But you know, for the people that weren't gear nerds that maybe have never heard of some of these amps. They go through the manual and they see a picture of the actual thing we modeled and then a description and maybe a little bit of history behind it. So I learned a ton of stuff from that. Um, and little things that we modeled again, sort of way back when, just like, you know, one of the old Marshall amps we had, uh, it was the JTM 45. The the filter caps were, were not great. So th- there's a thing that happens when you've got older filter caps, when you hit a certain note and you bend it and it, you kind of get this weird octave below thing. Um, and it, it, it does a thing and the model did that. So mm. you know, things like that, it was great to demonstrate things like that. Um, and just a lot of fun, but yeah, like I said, it, it shouldn't be too serious. You've got to have fun with this because it's music. And if music isn't fun, then you've got a problem. You're in the wrong industry. So uh, where did you go from line six? <clears throat> um, I went from line six to small distribution company. Um, and we had Hamer, uh, Breedlove, um, uh, various kind of accessories and bits and bobs. Um, I wasn't there too long. Uh, I think it was there like three months or something like a little stopgap. Um and then, yeah, I think I put the call in to Paul Germain. Um, there was a job going at Sound Control. Uh, this is when Sound Control had actually taken over from Academy Sound. Uh, and there was a manager's job going at the Nottingham store. So I put the call in and got the interview and I got that call. So, who was doing Hamer back then? That was GoTo Guitars. Um, oh, GoTo Guitars, yeah, of course. But a Manchester-based. Yeah, um, awful. This is this is my terrible memory kicking in. Um, I've completely forgot the guy's name. He used to work at Marshall. Yeah, I, with you, I can't remember. Oh. Yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, really nice work. And uh, I bet you both know what he looks like, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> that's really so uh, helpful for audio. That yeah, it's age. Sounds- I'm so sorry um, to that gentleman. Uh, I do remember Steve Graham. No, no, no. One of the old, one of the old school kind of martial reps. There was like Nick Bland and this guy uh, way back when, and Steve Fakeluff was involved in that company as well. Um, so yeah, but very brief kind of stint with those guys, and then yes, yeah, sound control for thirteen months. Thirteen months. 13 months. Um, I think I managed 11. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we were one of the first stores that closed. Uh, so that was that was a nice morning. So when the whole sound control thing fell apart, obviously they'd become the sole sponsor of Music Live at that point because they, you know, assumed Academy into the sound control. And... Um, at the time, it seems ridiculous now, um, but uh, because Strictly had just launched, so like dancing was like the thing, and the, the managing director at the NEC said to me, I'd like you to research a dancing show. And I was like, huh? And he went, well, look, so we've got an office full of people that do antique shows, um, op, op trump, uh, what's the word, op? Optom, uh, optro, uh, um, um, glasses, glasses, yeah, optometrist, optometrist Opt- show, which is like a trade show and stuff like that. We've got car shows, blah blah caravans, blah. yeah, all got all of this stuff. Optimus, Optimus Prime, but yeah, <laughs> and um, you'd need a big hole, wouldn't you? Yes, <laughs> and uh, you're the only one that's basically in the arts, so can you go and research this dance show? 
So I, I was sat in a meeting, uh, which is the most probably the most uncomfortable meeting I ever had. To be fair, they were lovely, but I was sat with the Royal Ballet in a coffee shop talking about dancing, of which is not really my forte. Um, and my phone was going mental in my pocket. It was just like vibrating every five seconds. And obviously, I'm in a meeting with my phone on silent, wanting to know why my phone is going mental every five seconds. So I finally uh, finished the meeting. And uh, and it's just that there was like 30 messages that was like, sound control have gone under, sound control have gone under. And people going, what are you going to do? And there was this one message from PMT that just said, do you want to come in? <laughs> so uh and, and yeah that was quite a stressful week um <laughs> losing your biggest sponsor but not as bad as losing uh jobs because stores are closing and so on yeah yeah again i think with that I, I sort of got a little bit lucky um not it wasn't that i saw the writing on the wall um sort of three or four months before uh before we closed down we were kind of called the you know, area meeting and whatnot uh and it was like we were told the bank was pulling funds and this that the other and there was another buyer uh in place and, and everything was going to be peachy uh but i'd actually heard about um a job going at pb uh for a rep there so and i'd kind of looked at pb before but it was on a self-employed basis and that didn't really work for me. So, you know, I always wanted to have a job and security and, and all that business because you've got a family, you've got a mortgage, you, you know, it's, yeah, it was a time in my life where I thought, no, I need to, I need the extra security. And the rep Virgil at the time came in and we were chatting about it. I says, yeah, but you know, it's the self-employed. So no, they're, they're going employed now. So I'd actually kind of two or three months before uh, Sancho went under, or certainly my store at least, um, I'd, I'd already got my application in. So it was <clears throat> I think maybe two months um, between Sancho closing and me starting a PV. Uh, so I, I did all right. It's, it's um, for those of us who've worked or have come through into the music industry through retail, it, it, it was the the normal path. The normal path was that you worked in a store for a while, and then and then you would probably end up with a position on the road first and foremost. Uh, and, and and a lot of us did that. I mean, I I left Sound Control and started with Sure, and that you know that then that then led to sort of fifteen years, fourteen years with Sure. But it, but when you look around at the people um, that were you know the same era, our peers, it, it so many of them did you know, did what, what you and I did, um, you know, and you worked your way through from there and you might jump back into retail at a later stage. Some people did. Steve Gray's an example of somebody who, mm-hmm. you know, who jim- jumped back over the fence and obviously is now working at Guitar Guitar. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in fact, both Steve's. Steve Mills yeah, as Steve well. Mills. Yeah. Um, and Nigel. Didn't Nigel open Guitar Guitar uh, Epsom? Yes. Yes. Um, and then went back on the road. So it's always been not incestuous because it's not incestuous, but but it's been just been the done thing. It's been the normal thing. You've off people have often jumped from one, and there aren't many industries where you do that, where you get where you 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 know you're you're either in retail or you're in distribution or manufacture, whatever it might be. But there's a lot of jumping and to and froing in in MI. I mean, it's kind of you know the music industry. I think as a whole um, is. It's so small in the grand scheme of things. You know, it is so small, and we, yeah, everyone knows each other and all that. Um, and and that's the beauty of it because, you know, yeah, way back when there were, you know, the people that went around, there were the big I am, and they're all gone now. And yeah. you know, and Jace, this is this is something I saw the last couple of years at the guitar show was everyone's everyone else's friend and it doesn't matter who you work for whether it's retail or manufacturing if you're in competition with you know a, a company or you've got competitive products it's no problem you know everyone's going oh, i love that new amp you've just bought out or you know um got 
friends from other companies that are technically competitors that are calling me and saying, I really want a Helix. Can you sort me out? Mm. I know. I, I think that it, it's such a lovely thing. I can remember doing build-ups for shows at the NEC and then being very stressful, horrible days. And then you, you look at build-up at the guitar show now, and I, the amount of times I've seen competitive companies helping another company load in yeah. because they're running a bit late or something. And it's just kind of like... I was, re- God, I was reading a sort of like a a management book sort of thing, and it was talking about vibe. And you can't create a vibe; it just has to happen in an environment. And it, and the, the guitar show has got a really lovely vibe um, between the exhibitors and the visitors. Um, but it's so noticeable from where I stand. I mean, how fractious those build-up days used to be at the NEC. To compare to how it is now, it's it's. I mean, it's a, it's so it's so much more pleasant to do it. I mean, I know there's a difference in scale, um, but I've actually probably got the same number of exhibitors. You know, it's just it's just lovely that everybody kind of gets on, and I think that you know, a lot of us, you know, sort of me, you, we're all roughly the same age here, and. And everybody that's kind of running the companies now or, you know, senior in those companies is our kind of age as well. And we've all kind of come through it in the last 20 years together, really. And um, I just think it's really nice. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and you know, as we all know, the industry has changed. It's become more challenging or, or different challenges. And ultimately, you know, it, it's back to that thing that I said about, you know, demoing or writing a manual or whatever. It, it's music. It shouldn't we shouldn't take it too seriously. Uh, you know, yeah, there's a, definitely a serious element to the business side, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, walk into a meeting and shake hands or have a hug or whatever and, and have a giggle. Uh, ultimately, whether you're a competitive retailer or a competitive manufacturer, competitive demo guy, um, and th- I remember that being a thing uh, where... You know, yeah, I'm I'm doing a demo, and the guy three stands down is trying to be louder. Yeah, you know, to 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 get the crowds, and it's like, well, a don't do that, just it's just not it's not cricket. Um, B, you're going to lose that battle. I'll always be louder than you if I need to. Be. <laughs> don't worry about that. Um, and and see, there's just there's just no need for it, you know. Um, and it, everything's changed from, you know, the challenges we all face, um, obviously even more so this year, but just the kind of love that everyone has for each other. Because ultimately, we're all, you know, musicians, you know, whether you're a guitar player, a drummer, or a synth guy, or recording, or whatever. And, and it's nice because there's no bad gear out there. You know, everyone, yeah. every company has really upped their game, not just in design or usage or sound or whatever, uh, but the actual manufacturing side as well. It's like no one will take, you know, if you're a subcontracting manufacturer for a product out and it arrives and it's crap, it goes back. It's like, no, we, we, firstly, we don't want that. But secondly, we kind of can't afford to have that because if, if a company puts something that's crap out on market, it's going to get called out. You know, everyone's an internet warrior these days. Yeah, I mean, he's so different, isn't he? I mean, there's a there's a thread on the fretboard forum at the moment, which is what is the worst guitar you've ever owned? Yeah. Uh, and the first three guitars I ever owned were the worst guitars I've ever owned. <laughs> you, you, Hondo, Columbus, and a Marlin. And it's just, I mean, they were just awful. <laughs> But, the, but I mean, to Ross's point, there is nothing like that anymore. I no. remember I remember buying Tanglewood guitars at Academy, um, and these things being astonishing for the money. You know, yeah. truly, truly astonishing. The acoustics, in particular, some of the acoustics were absolutely fantastic. And I equally remember, you know, back at the beginning, you know, Yamaha acoustics going back far enough that were you know that 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 time were a couple hundred quid and were truly terrible and and actually something happened in that period from sort of the mid 90s to the mid 2000s where everything just went up and whether it was the companies at the bottom that that dragged 
you know, the branded companies up. But certainly when I was growing up and playing, even the branded stuff, they kind of took the piss at, uh, you know, at the entry-level price points. And then suddenly by, you know, mid-2000s, 100 quid bought you a usable instrument in a way that it never did when we were growing up. No. Um, you know, and I think that's that's testament to the injury. And and, and your your you know your point's absolutely valid. I mean, uh, even the own brand stuff, even some of the the stuff that floats through is 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 really really good. It, you know, it's um, uh, we've as an industry we've got a real handle on that, and I think it's you know I think it's great. But but the the, the other bit you were talking about, yeah, we, we've we've always congregated in the bar at the end of the day. I think that's one of the reasons why the industry feels the way it feels because we've always got together for, and it didn't matter who you worked for. You know, I, the number of times I'd be sat, you know, in the bar um, when I was at AOS, sat in the bar with with Andertons or with PMT or with Sound Control guys, or the number of times I was sat in the bar with people from Audio Technica or Sennheiser when I was at Shaw, it didn't, it, it never, it, it was never a thing. It was yeah, never that, a thing. that was the best bit of Nam. It really was the best bit of Nam, and it started. It's it's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? But there's there's convention way and the the convention centres at the end of it, and either side you've got the Hilton and the Marriott. And when I started going to Nam twenty years ago, everybody went to the Hilton. Now everybody goes to the Marriott. But it's just you know these hotel bars are just full of Brits, aren't yeah. they? Just because uh, the Americans tend to go to bed at about half past seven. Well, it's because they're uh, up at half past three, <laughs> don't they? Oh, let's book a meeting. Let's 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 do a late one. Let's meet at half five in the morning. You are. You're about a late never, one. The only time I ever have breakfast meetings are at Nam. Oh. I just, I just, oh. Anaheim is terrible. We're, six six o'clock in the morning, four hundred pairs of chinos and four hundred white shirts. <laughs> That's all Anaheim is. <laughs> The guy I was working on, on uh, working with on our stand this year, and yeah, you, you're right. It's just the you know up at the crack of doom, and and he, I walked on the stand, and and he's there, all bright and jolly, and it's like you're on it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Uh, I had a great round of golf this morning. This is a half eight. <laughs> yeah. it's half eight in the morning. You know, and it's just take me, you know, forty five minutes to walk from the hotel to the to the centre, and um, still half asleep. And I was like, "You, you have a round of golf?" So yeah, just um, quick eighteen holes. <laughs> like four hours, maybe, eighteen holes. You know, three if you're on a buggy. And, you know, and you can actually hit straight. Which obviously, I can't. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." Yeah, you get up at four and um, you know get out there, have some breakfast. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I no. played golf once when I was out in California, and we were driving round, and there was just a sign at the about two holes in. There's a big sign on the buggy route saying, "If you see if you see a rattlesnake, don't get out of your buggy." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, does that need to be said? <laughs> but that. That doesn't happen in Chesterfield. That's no. all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It's that I, weird thing, though, isn't it? when you get off the plane. So you've been on the plane for 13 hours. You've been at Heathrow three hours before that. If you know, We've all had to get to Heathrow from you know, the Midlands or north of. So you know, by the time you've got off the plane and gone through two hours of customs after you've got off the plane... You've, you've practically been up a day at this point. Yeah. And, and there's a Starbucks as soon as you come out of um, arrivals, isn't there? And you go and you think, right, I'm going to have a coffee because I've got a, an hour's drive down to Anaheim now. I'm going to have a really strong coffee. And there's a massive sign that says coffee gives you cancer. <laughs> <laughs> everything in California gives you cancer. There's a sign on everything in California to say it gives you cancer. I know. The state of California has decided that this, you know, this this Hershey bar will give you cancer. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Yeah, I um, as as much as I love traveling, um, the actual traveling part is always rubbish. Yeah, yeah, that's the bit you get bored of very quickly, isn't it? Yeah, the the, the getting to or getting back—that's the crap bit. When you're there, it's awesome. Mm. But yeah, the the flight to LAX from wherever, and the first time I went, it was from Gatwick, which oh, oh yeah, oh 
Yeah, right. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. That's a really, really, really long way away from Nottingham. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. Um, I'd rather go to Glasgow or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you walk out and there is that Starbucks bar. And it's like, yeah, if I saw that, yeah, coffee gives you cancer. I'm like, bring, bring the cancer. <laughs> yeah. I just walk up to, every time I've been, I just walk up to them and say, what is the, like, do you have a bucket? Yeah. You can fill yeah. with coffee please yeah. just you know water and caffeine i don't care what it tastes like that's what i need right now uh but no we always go uh, when we go over it's straight up to calabasas to the office for a few days or a yeah. week before the show so uh, it's hour and a half the other way <laughs> so bringing you back round then you're currently at pv on, on your on your story yes. so pv4 how long? He was, uh, it was five or six years, I think, mm. something like that. Um, and it was good, you know, again, we kind of, it was the tail end of um, uh, the Van Halen stuff. So I think it was a couple of years since Eddie had left PV um, uh, with the Wolfgang uh, and the EVH stuff came out, something that sort of era. Mm. Uh, Wolfgangs weren't around anymore. It had become the HP special and uh, and whatnot. Uh, but there were, you know, we still did really well. Um, 5150s and turned into 6505s and, and things like that. But it was great. We had some good products. We we took on Buddha amps, which still some... Oh, favorite. yes, I remember that. Yeah. I remember... You, I, I swear you were shown them to me. Would it have been at Frankfurt? Could have been at Frankfurt. Yeah. Uh, and they were they were awesome. You know, they were really good. And it was kind of Buddha were, I, I think, one of, you know, if we take sort of Randall Smith, um, you know, Boogie stuff, mm. and Alexander Dumble out of the equation. Um, Buddha were really the first kind of commercially available boutique brand. Uh, you know, and point to point and all that. Um, and yeah, PV took them on and, you know, did did what they did with them. And they, they were awesome. I used Buddha for a, a bunch of years. Uh, and obviously Trace Elliott as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, PV, PV was cool. Um, again, that kind of came to an end. The European offices all got closed down. Uh, and what did they do then? Was it Rossetti then? It was Rossetti, yes. Um, yeah, Rossetti for a while. <laughs> I'll have to check my link. <laughs> I, forget, I forget. Yeah, I think it was like eight months or a year or something like so, that. So was this the Rossetti that was post-Gibson? This was post-Gibson Rossetti. Um, so we had BC Rich, Seymour Duncan. Uh, Rickenbacker. 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 Uh, I'd say we had Rickenbacker. We never had Rickenbacker. I never had stock. Never had stock. No. Uh, um, you know, you'd sell it. And Te- then... Technically distributing the brand. T- technically <laughs> distributing the brand. I think I I inherited some back orders for like four double one basis that were four or five years old. Hmm. Uh, like the the wait list was insane, hmm. um, and it was always great when stock would come in and you'd get half a dozen three thirties or. 360s come through on some bases and there was never any fear that the deal would have cancelled that back order no. but they knew full well as soon as that 4001 went in the store doesn't matter what finish you know it would be straight out again yeah. uh, I was actually I was I was pleased that you were Rossetti post Gibson because I was just starting to look down the list and go sound control who oh, Ross is there when that falls apart <laughs> oh Ross is there when that falls apart <laughs> Rossetti, or Ross is there when they lose Gibson. I was thinking, where's where's he going next? But but that's okay. So you broke that cycle, so that's fine. So I kind of moved from Rossetti to Yamaha. Um, the, the the gig came up there, and and that was a really interesting kind of job that was going with Yamaha. Um, they kind of wanted someone to look after. Um, you build the guitar side. The guitar side for Yamaha has always done brilliantly, like really, really well. Um, but we we wanted to kind of take it to the next level and and put it in places where it wasn't before. You know, make the brand a little bit more acceptable um, or cooler or whatever you want to call it. 
Because um, obviously, look, you know, again, guitar players, we like things that say Fender on the headstock or Gibson yeah. or Taylor or would it, would it be fair to say with Yamaha that Yamaha for guitarists is practical rather than desirable? To an extent, um, there's definitely a lot of desirability with certain models. Obviously, you know, we look at something like the SG2000. Yeah. Um, you know, they fetch money now. Like, yeah, yeah. they lose money. Uh, I remember visiting a dealer in, like, some the deepest, darkest depths of Ireland. Um, and he had basically a new old stock. He had an SG2000 and 3000. Um, and the 2000 he had up at something like 5,000 euros, and the 3000 was like 8,000 euros. Wow. Um, and, you know, he will sell them for that. Mm. Because, I mean, you certainly can't get any new ones. They haven't made them for a bunch of years. But, yeah, I mean, the SGs were desirable. Uh, some of the vintage acoustics were, were very desirable. Yeah, I, I got, um, what was it, the SG? Oh, is it the fifty the fiftieth anniversary? Was it the one eighty fiftieth anniversary or something? Uh, the SG, FG. Oh, the FG. Yes, the, the FG one eighty fiftieth. Jobby, there was only about five hundred made. And, and I've got um, is, is it called the Transacoustic with the <laughs> reverb and chorus building? Imagine. It's amazing when you're on the sofa. It genuinely I, is. It never fails to make you smile when you turn up. <laughs> no, it's oh, it's the best feeling when if, if I'm going to do a clinic or something, and, um, uh, or visiting a store, and I find someone that doesn't know it, that's never heard of it, you know, and. The, the, there are people out there that don't necessarily follow forums or follow gear or something. So every now and again, you find someone that's like, what's transacoustic? Like, you need to sit down, <laughs> right? Embrace yourself. And it is, it's just, and the reaction from from when we launched it, or when I first started showing people to, even to now, uh, you sit someone down and you know, they strum a few chords. It's like, yeah, it's it's an L-series or an FG. It's a fantastic sound and acoustic guitar on its own right. And then you push the button and the reaction is always the same, right? And, it, and it's one of a couple of things. It's either a look of utter confusion <laughs> or, or a big smile. And they get the guitar and they're like kind of trying to look inside. And it's like, where's the speaker? You know, what's happening? So it's it, it just such a great product. Um, and again, in it was it was a dealer, and I was struggling to find the, the the kind of words to describe the experience. But it was you know, and it still is inspiring, mm. um, and that's important because I think rarely do you find a, a guitar, not even a guitar product, a, a specific guitar that really sort of inspires you to play in a different way and for longer. You know, you can get a new. Strap, Pacifica, SG, Les Paul, whatever, you can get a new guitar, whatever that is, and have loads of fun with it for an amount of time. But at some point, you kind of go, right, what's next? Mm. But with Transacoustic, every time you pick it up, you 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 don't want to put it down. You know, it's brilliant. Absolutely. It is, I, I, I absolutely adore mine. It's the only guitar that's in the uh, the living room. Um, mainly because my wife wouldn't want 20 other guitars in the living room um, but uh, I just find it a, a fantastic sitting on the sofa sort of like playing guitar I actually took it to a recording session as well and uh, the guy that was engineering the session had never seen one so I'm like I'm strumming through the song and he's going right okay and then I click the button and like you say that huge Grin. It's almost laughing because it's so yeah. ridiculous. Right. <laughs> it is. And it, it's cool that the way the kind of technology works is, is cool because it does sort of surround you. Um, because essentially the the you know, with the sound, I guess, of, and, and the effects, yeah, it's coming out of sound hole, but it's also coming out of the back of the guitar, uh, because that's what's being used as a sort of a soundboard. Uh, yeah, you do get this immersive experience, and it's brilliant. I love the fact that I can I can pick it up, hit the button, and go uh, yeah. like like you would with an electric, and you get that sort of like 
massive whore thing. Because I mean, stupidly, I've got I've got everything on max, max chorus, max reverb. It sounds like I'm in a cave most of the time. As, as, as a wise Swedish guitar player said, more is more. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> So you were saying that you uh, that that point in time Yamaha's trying to um, change the way its electrics are, are viewed. Yeah, I think there was still kind of a bit of a corporate edge, and and things had already been put in place and changing. And um, there actually wasn't re- at that when I joined, there wasn't really a guitar player on the team. There were people that played guitar, but there wasn't a complete geek and dweeb mm-hmm. like me. Um, and it, it was, I always remember the interview and, uh, and I'm sat down with the guitar product manager and a couple of directors and sales managers and stuff. And, and it was clearly a test, uh, which being the geek that I am, you, know, you flew man- through it, I <laughs> managed to get through it. And, um, and Martin's there and he's sad. He's saying, uh, so, so do you know what a clon is? <laughs> I've actually got three of them, so yes. <laughs> you just saw his face and go, ah, uh, I've met my soulmate. <laughs> so yeah, I think what, what was kind of needed at the time was just someone to put a, a different spin on things. And I because I'm look, I'm I'm not I'm the least corporate person you guys know. I'm I'm really far away from being corporate. Um, and there was a the distribution company, um, Tony Owens. There you That's go. it. For anyone just tuning in, that was a reference earlier. We can't remember his name. Tony Owens. <laughs> go to guitar. You know, that was very, I was instructed, you know, put a shirt on, put trousers on, wear nice shoes, so on and so forth. It's so uncomfortable for me. It's, it's not what I'm about. You know, I, I'm the least, you know, groomed and kept person you'll ever meet. But, so that kind of bothered me, and and I sort of I've taken that with me through my career, but it it, it needed a bit more of an edge um, on the guitar side rather than kind of the sales guy walking in and going right, okay, numbers, 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 numbers. It was right, okay, the, the guy buying it is kind of going to buy it, and we've got to have the sales argument, but we've got to get the guys on side that are on the front line on the shop floor, and you know, you kind of, as a guitar player, you talk in a particular way. Um, and knowing, I guess, as much as I do about not just our gear, but, but everyone else's, it's, right, okay, well, I can compare this to this and this and this and this. So it was um, it was important to be able to do that at the time, and they didn't have anyone that could do that, that could go in and, you know, talk with someone that loves custom shop and go, right, okay, well, you know, about our custom shop and get really in depth with the geeky side of things. Mm. So it, it was, um, yeah, it was good. And, uh, and it was actually the, the day that I got the phone call that I got the job, uh, was the day we launched Helix. <laughs> Happy days. Don't you look good? <laughs> well, in, in, in the interview, we're kind of talking about, um, Axe effects and how at the time Pod HD, um, can, can go up against that if it's put across in the right way and so on and so forth. And there was a little bit of a kind of a smirk from them all. It's like, well, yeah, we might have something that that puts us back in that game. Mm. And it was a week later or something. And yeah, suddenly Facebook page and um, there's Helix. It's like, oh, that's pretty. So it was it was a good time. It was a really good time. Cool. So and so was that just UK based? That was just UK based and sales based. Um, I mean, it was only really originally line six that I kind of, I, I was officially a product guy, uh, mm. just talking about gear. But I mean, I've never been a great salesman. You know, my sales pitches has always been about the gear. You know, yeah. I, I, can't, I, I have a really hard time, like I said, doing the corporate thing, sitting down and creating a spreadsheet and by charts and business arguments and working all this out. I've, I've never been very good at that. But what I can do is talk about gear. Um, it's this and it's this and it compares to this. And okay, what, 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 why is this model different to this competitor's model or 
why is it better or why is it on par why should you sell this so on and so forth so it was always being able to talk about our products versus someone else's and and just talk about gear because I I still like gear I still get excited about it Um, but yeah PV Rossetti go to guitars they were all sales jobs Um, and Yamaha was sales as well Uh, and that was great Um, did a couple of years there and then yeah it was kind of a phone call from uh, my my oldest friend actually and I kind of done some gigs with him and throughout all of these jobs, they're kind of gigged as well, uh, gigged and done sessions. Then I got a phone call from uh, from my mate Andy and said, "We've um, we've had a call that Sam Bailey, um, who won for anyone that doesn't watch X Factor, uh, Sam Bailey won X Factor in 2013, I think it was something like that." Um, and I remember watching her and thinking, "She's awesome." She's like a, a ridiculous singer. Certainly mm. uh, one of the, I, I'll still say one of the best vocalists the show's ever had. But she, did, she can do a lot of different things really, really well. And she was looking for a new band for a tour coming up. And I got a phone call to say, look, I don't think our guitar player is going to want to do it. Um, do you fancy it? And I'm like, well, yeah, that'd be, that'd be really cool. So I had the conversation with with the boss at Yamaha and said, look, this has come up. It's A, worth a bit of money, but B, kind of worth experience and fun and all that. And we just couldn't make it work. So I kind of had to make a decision. Um, Do I go from a secure job that paid all right, you know, with house and mortgage and all that, horses and, and all that, you know, all these outgoings, do I go and be a musician for a living? And foolishly, I thought, yeah. It's not foolish. It's living the dream. It, it, it was. And I mean, what was that? I was like 39 or something, 38, 39 at the time. And, um, and I was like, you know what? I'm nearly 40. Um, this is a great opportunity. Uh, and there was a bunch of freelance work with Yamaha as well. So I kind of sat down, looked at the numbers. It's like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to be a guitar player for a living, which on the face of it was a really stupid idea when you've got a big mortgage and expensive pets and, and a family and all that, uh, because it was totally the un, totally unknown. You know, I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. And it was brilliant for... Uh, 18 months, I managed to kind of survive and earn really good money. But, you know, anyone out there that wants to do it, you know, do it when your expenses are low because there are there are times when you're earning a ton of money and then there are times when you're earning literally nothing. You know, so it's, it, it, it's a brilliant thing being a musician and that's your only income. Um, but it's also terrifying, you know, because yeah, you don't know when the next meal is going to go on the table. No, particularly right now, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I'm so thankful for for having you know the job I've got because if yeah, if I was um, self-employed now, like so many others, and I see friends who are still in that way, you know, you just screwed. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been been a really really tough year for a lot of people tell me about it <laughs> well yeah yeah no exactly um so you know i'm i'm, I'm i there isn't a day go by where i don't appreciate how lucky i really am so you do you finish with sam and, and it's uh did you call did, yamaha did, did a couple of years with sam um doing freelance stuff for yamaha um a few other bits and bobs had a bunch of sessions um and, and I even, I was a chauffeur for a minute because it was a job and, and it earned money. So there you go. That's what you've got to do, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and while I was doing the freelance thing, a guy that I worked with at Line 6 originally, uh, I was doing I was doing a clinic at uh, the Yamaha London store, Yamaha Music London. Uh, and he sent me a message saying, do you fancy a coffee? You know, I'll come down. Yeah, absolutely. Man. I've not seen him for a, a bunch of years. And uh, we sat and had a coffee and, um, and he said, look, I'm putting this thing together. Um, I need a product guy. 
it's this and this and this. Do you fancy it? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, I'd <laughs> kind of, I'd kind of done, uh, as I like to call it, semi-retirement. Um, I'd done that for a minute, and it was good, but things were starting to dry up a little bit. And and I thought, no, you know what? I want that security again. Um, let's go for this. And it, it took a while. Uh, I think it took like six months to kind of from from that initial conversation to actually getting the job. Uh, and yeah, I started back with the, the relatively new Yamaha Guitar Group part of the company in September uh, 2018. Uh, and it was great, you know, it was sort of suddenly I'm employed and then within, <clears throat> within a couple of weeks, I'm flying to LA uh, for, for, for two weeks and doing, doing new stuff. And I'm kind of, and, and I've said for years that my favorite job that I've ever had was being a product specialist for Line 6 because it was great. You know, you, you talk about gear for a living and you get to experience all this cool stuff. It's fantastic, you know? So I can't... There, there's many things that people can moan about in jobs. I can't really think of anything to moan about. Awesome. Not not one thing. The team is fantastic. The company as a whole is, is awesome. Everyone looks after each other. Everyone's got everyone else's backs. Um, but it does make me feel good and proud that I work for, you know, not just, you know, one of, if not the biggest company in the industry, but that's irrelevant if you don't have awesome products to talk about. I mean, we've got really awesome products. <laughs> you know, uh, last night we dropped the new firmware for Helix. And, and, and it's just beautiful to see all the forums lighting up and going, oh, you know, 3.0, it's, it's phenomenal and all this business. So, uh, you know, as a company, we're committed to, to just making all this awesome stuff and, and, yeah, just get people playing. So it's, yeah, we're having a, we're having a lovely time. Well, that's, that's a nice, nice way, nice point to get to because that means we can ask you one final question. Uh, which has now become the signature 942 question. Okay. Uh, we tried a few, but this is the one that we're settling on. Um, what's your favourite carry-on film? Camping. Camping? Okay. Not camping. had that before, have we? I don't think... Do you know, surprising that we haven't. Have We haven't had camping before. Um, uh, camping. It's a good choice. Good, solid choice, I would say. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think camping. Um, if not only for the Barbara Windsor scene. Yeah, it's it, it, the, that scene, isn't it? Yep, yep. I mean, yep. what not to love? Yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. So the camping, that's that's what we have. Now, the other, in fact, actually, we've got one more question to ask you. Um, we do a little, we put a playlist together. So each episode has a Spotify playlist. Um, so... Oh, over to you, five tracks. Um, what would you like? It can be tracks that you've played on. It can be tracks that just... It can be a timeline through your career. It can be the last five tracks you've listened to. It doesn't really matter. And if you don't get them all now, it's fine. We can talk about this off air. Okay. But anything instantly that springs to mind. Um, maybe kind of surprise some people. Um I, think I, I suppose a little bit of my, my musical taste, you kind of, <clears throat> you know, I'm a, I'm a rock guy, um, particularly kind of, you know, cheesy rock uh, mm-hmm. because it's great and, and why not? But, you know, when I was playing with Sarah Jory, that was country. Um, Sam Bailey's very pop uh, with a little bit of a rock edge. And then everything I do in between, uh, I play in a band basically. So there's four of us, and we have various front people. Uh, so it's different singers, different styles of music, which keeps it really interesting for us. Um, you know, we did some work with another X, uh, X Factor guy, Andy Abraham, and that was... Um, Is that the bin man? That's the guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you what, it, it, like ridiculously knowledgeable about music, like crazy. Uh, but we did a couple of projects with him, one of which was very sort of soul um well soul stuff uh Earthling of fire and and so on and so forth uh but then we also did a nat king cole project which was terrifying because that's real jazz <laughs> that's like serious 
you know, growing up chords. Um, and I don't know any of those. So that, that was definitely a challenge, but, you know, really good fun. But then we also play with a guy that does rock and indie and, a, you know, a girl that's sort of basically, if she was dead, she would be the reincarnation of Chaka Khan um, and all this. So, you know, my musical tastes are fairly diverse. And I will encourage anyone listening to be diverse. Uh, my favourite thing recently is just pulling up a backing track for something that I would never listen to, like EDM. You know, I, I hear that coming out of my daughter's bedroom far too loud, far too often. Uh, and it's not my thing, but you pull up an EDM track and see what you can do with it with guitar. Hmm. You know, because why not? So track-wise, I'm going to start totally off the rails with Adagio for Strings. Okay. Um, which was uh, someone Barker, I think, was the composer. Um, Barber or Barker, the original composer. Uh, just because it is unquestionably one of my favourite pieces of music ever. Cool. Um, and going completely the opposite way, I've got to have Get the Funk Out by Extreme. Right. Okay. Um, that talks very much to our era, that. You had to live in that two-year bubble to appreciate extreme to quite the extent that we all do. Well, when I no, 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 don't include me in that. Do you like extreme? <laughs> I just I'm a bit older than you, aren't I? I was, I was out of that bubble. They were just a bit, uh, just pop. All the girls liked them, therefore I didn't. I think, and I've seen this. I think it was Brian May actually himself that said if there was one and it was like the Freddie Mercury tribute concert where like all the bands came on and you know Metallica played Metallica songs and, and all these people played their own songs and all that and there was the occasional Queen cover in there played really poorly and Extreme came on and just did this like 15 minute medley Queen medley didn't they yeah and it was unbelievable you know it was just like yeah if there was any band that could get close to what Queen were about, mm. it was extreme. Um, and for, a, for a little while, they were the most exciting band in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because I think it was just, it was interesting. And, you know, more than words comes out. Uh, and I think like like so many guitar players, the first experience that we all had of Nuno was in Bill and Ted's. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, oh, what the hell is this? And then more the words comes out and it's this wonderful ballad and chicks dig it and all that. Um, I think Nuno's on an interview and saying, yeah, you know, that was record stores all over the world were kind of, that was one of the most returned, Pornography is one of the most returned albums um, in history because people bought it for more than more words. words. And the opening track, Decadence Dance, you know, and Get the Funk Out and Susie and all that. And it's just like, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> but... Um, Extreme are a very peculiar band in that they don't they kind of fit into the rock metal category mm. um, but then there's some jazz elements and definitely funk elements so it's um, yeah if like Queen and Prince and some metal band had a baby you know and Van Halen had a baby there you go a bit, a bit, yeah it's right, okay. All these kind of little things that glue together create extreme. Still, easily one of my favorite bands. So, uh, and Get the Funk Out is, I've said for years, I will sit down and I will learn the solo, and, and I never have. One day, one day. Uh, but, except, yeah, exceptional. And yeah, just Get the Funk Out is just a great track. Um, think, um, you know what? Sweet Home Alabama. Cool. Good tune. Good uh, tune. Play it with a few different guys and it's just fun. Mm. And everyone from every age group knows it. Mm. If not yeah. just the chorus. You know, it's a great sing along too. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Well, two to go. But tell you what, don't tell us those two. We'll do we'll we'll do those two as a surprise for the for the thingy. But that in, in, that's an interesting three. So you can only only begin to imagine where the last two are going to take us. So that's quite <laughs> nice. Uh, Ross, thank you for your time. It's thank it's you. been it's been lovely to catch up. Yeah, uh, me on, kind of a bit, bit of an honour. Um, 
bit, bit weird. No one's going to listen to what I've got to say. So I'm amazed that people listen to what we've got to say. So you know, I wouldn't worry about it. We're constantly astonished. Um, but you know, the same six people who listen to the rest will probably listen to this one. So it's uh, it's, it's it's fine. <laughs> and, and, uh, and one of them's Craig in uh, Canada. So yeah, you know, yeah. Hi, Craig in Canada. Hi, Craig. <laughs> um, um, but no, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs> all right. Bye bye. Yes. Take care. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Hold up. 